Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes episode number... 46, another huge week. Gee, it's been a big day. We're recording this uh, Tuesday afternoon, Melbourne, East Coast Australia time, and it has been a huge day, sectional qualifying for the US Open. For the men, a load to talk about off the back of that. There's no Mark Hayes. He is uh, off on um, uh, duties far more important than recording golf podcasts. He's got matrimonial responsibilities. Marty Blake will be filling in for Hazy for the next few weeks. How are you, big fella? Yeah, I'm very good. I'll just do my best to fill in for the big man. Very I think ha- very by he- the time most people listen to this, he will actually have tied the knot with uh, the lovely Angela. Which is a beautiful... In, in Hawaii. With no shoes on, uh, shorts. I don't think you'll have shaved down for it. I think you'll have hairy legs. A lot of Hawaiian shirts involved and... Uh, I see that your invitation must have got lost in the snail mail, the same as mine. I'm disappointed in all. I didn't want to mention it last week. It's a bit controversial. The small family wedding. Al, you have, Al Whittick is with us, of course. You didn't. You clearly didn't get invited either. Uh, no, no, I did yeah. not. But you know, that's what they do when you go to Hawaii. That's your way of not inviting everyone that you know you should invite. <laughs> Right? That's code. This is a good point, but I thought we were pretty tight knit here inside the road, so I'm a little offended by what it is. I think that uh, Hazy is one guy I'd be very excited today with some of the US Open sectional. Well, results. I thought, you know, London to a brick, we'd, our, our lead would be, um, you know, the US, the women's US Open final round, and the, which was dramatic and uh, noteworthy. Yeah. And we'll, we'll spend a lot of time talking about that. But the freshest news does come out of the sectional qualifying for the men's. And. Um, there's some great results. Four Australians have added their name to those who will be competing. Um, and at either ends of the Australian golf spectrum, Gazelle, we have representation. It's uh, a fantastic quartet, and they've all got terrific stories. Yeah, well, look, all of this was happening today, Andy, and uh, what do they call it? The longest day in golf, <laughs> the US Open sectional, 36 holes. So Adam Scott is in the field. Uh, he's finally got himself in. He got in on the number. He and Aaron Baddeley both got in in their particular sectional at Springfield Golf Club. So Adam Scott, who's just played in the Memorial, he's teed it up this morning at I don't know what time. Uh, you know, he, he's played six tournaments in a row to try and get his world ranking under the top 60 so that he would get in, and now he is in. But Matt Jones also got in in a uh, 11-man playoff for four spots, would you believe? And the big one, uh, I thought, really, was Lucas Herbert, 22 <laughs> years of age, first time in a US Open Shoots 66-64 at Portland Golf Club, I believe it was. So he's in. So we're up to nine players in the field. I mean, I guess it's theoretically someone could play out of their skin at the FedEx St. Jude t- tournament this week and get in as well. But it, it's probably going to be nine because Leishman 
day, Cam Smith already in, and a couple of other guys, David Branston and Jason Scrivener, had already qualified yep. in sectionals in other parts of the world Japan previously. And England, so. which is great. So yeah. let, let's talk about as much or as little as the quartet. And we should start with you, El, because you've um, played more high-level. You're the only one who's played high-level golf out of the three of us in the room. Because Marty mentions four tour- six tournaments in the last six weeks. That's four rounds minimum. I don't know whether he's been playing pro-ams as well. And he's been practicing as well, you would think, either side of the tournament play in a desperate lunge to get inside the top 60 and get in. Doesn't get in, Adam Scott, and then puts himself through this. For a lot of us, we thought, so, so to begin with, how taxing and physically grueling would that be? It's Well, it's really full on. Um, I would say most professionals would genuinely like to play three or four weeks in a row and then have a week off if they can. Um, obviously, with the PGA Tour's scheduling, they can pick and choose which events they do and don't want to play, and they can base that around golf courses that do or don't you know, really match their game as well. Um, but six weeks in a row, you're wrecked. Uh, the, the only thing that the PGA Tour has going for them is that most of it's in the US. Yeah. Um, so that does make it That's a true. lot easier. So you don't have the language barriers of changing countries each week like you do on, say, the European Tour um, or Ladies European Tour as well. But, I mean, he's obviously got a goal and he's been tenacious about it and there's surely been a private jet involved on the Sunday night trying to get him to his tea time on the <laughs> Monday morning. But honestly, I mean, kudos to the bloke. That's That just goes to show how much he's still into it. I, sh- I should have mentioned, it? Andy, that it's, that's, he's already up to 67 consecutive majors. He hasn't missed one since the, uh, he started the streak in the 2001 Open Championship. 17 years. 17 years without missing a major. So that, that was another part of there's what only he's one, on about. There's only one player out there on, who's on a longer streak. Uh, Sergio. Correct. 72, yeah. So, so Al mentions the word tenacious, which is a crucial and critical mm. word, I reckon, through this, Marty. A lot of people, and myself a bit included, I reckon, in this, thought, well, he's, 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 he's over the super grinding hump. He is, those days of him wanting to, to take on board the, the tenacity required to do what he's done, those days are probably over. I had this sense about Scotty that if he has a nice result here or a nice result there, then he'll take it. But he's going to be a sort of part-time pro now with you know the rest of his life kind of revealing itself to him. Clearly, that for the here and now, hasn't necessarily proven to be the case. Exactly. And look, last year, a lot of people sort of turned against Scotty last year or started to write him off because he didn't have as good a year. But you have to factor in. I mean, his wife, had uh, Maria, had another baby, so they've got two little kids now. Uh, he was distracted for most of the year, and he, and he kind of got behind the eight ball, and it ended up being a disappointing year. But he's been, look, he's trying his backside off, Adam, and, you know, he might not, perhaps be the player quite that he that he was five years ago. But he's trying hard, believe me. So it's super that he continues um, that streak, you know, going. And it's a credit to him that he's taken on the workload required. We've mentioned a couple of times, just in passing, our, about Aaron Baddeley. And he's a bit of a footnote um, when we talk about Australian pro golf at the moment. Oh, yeah, and Aaron Baddeley made the cut and finished top 22nd. Oh, yeah, Aaron Baddeley made the cut and finished top 30. Um Again, enormous credit to the bloke that he is still, year in, year out, a card-carrying member of the PJ Tour. He never loses his card. And B, when he has to step it up, like he did today, um, he was able to do it. It's it's an enormous credit to uh, him, like Adam Scott, that he's still got the appetite to compete. 
Well, you'd have to think as a player like Aaron or, or Adam that they go to those qualifiers and they think that they have a real advantage in regards to the experience and not getting ahead of yourself, understanding that it's a total marathon day as opposed to a sprint. So going out and shooting 66 in the morning, you know, doesn't mean a lot because there's still 18 holes left. So, you know, I, I genuinely think that getting inside the head of someone like Aaron Badley on a day like a qualifier would be supremely interesting listening. I just, Absolutely. I just feel like he's got a, such an incredible take on the game as well. He doesn't seem to get too phased. He's very genuine in terms of the way that he plays his own game as well, which I always find quite refreshing. That he, I don't feel like he's ever tried to move towards the median at all, or, you know, what everyone else is doing. I think he's just played his own game almost from the get-go. And, you know, congratulations to him today. He's had a, a pretty good career in his own right. Aaron Badley, in my opinion. Uh, The issue is, I guess, that he created such an expectation around himself by winning two Australian Opens at a ridiculously young age that he's always had to kind of match up against those expectations. And of course, he's you know, I guess it's fair to say he's fallen fractionally short. Like I th- we thought he was going to be the best player in the world, didn't we? Well, well at we the, all, at the time, I think we did. Yeah. I think we did. Now that hasn't happened, but his career in isolation is pretty good. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Matt Jones gets through. You said um, playoff wise, uh, he gets through. But it was Luke Lucas Herbert um, was the one that was of most interest to um, so many of us. Young kid, Tyro, had him on the show. We like his attitude. We like his spirit. We like the game that he's got. He's got a big, expansive game that when he gets hot, when he, when Herbert gets hot, he's going to cause some damage. We don't think he's going to be a week in, week out, top 10, top 15, Matt Kuchar type, top 20, grind out great performances. But we have this um, suspicion, Al, that when he gets going, Lucas Herbert, he's going to take down some big names and he's going to win some big events. He's a pretty talented, streaky player when he gets rolling. Oh, completely. He, he goes in the category of people that when he's confident, he's he is supremely talented. And because of the nature of his golf swing, it is somewhat dependent on his tempo as well. And um, when he's confident, he just mooses that thing down the fairway. Honestly, absolutely smashes it. Well, I'm happy to say we have a bit of trouble getting through to him, and we're lucky we didn't leave it for another 20 minutes, Gazelle, because he might have been <laughs> celebrating a little too hard the fact that he's won his way into the US Open. Lucas Herbert from over in the States has been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes on a really, really special day in his golfing career. Young fella, uh, thanks for joining us on the show, and congratulations. You must be uh, seventh heaven stuff right now. Hello, guys. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, very, uh, very happy with today's result and um, very much looking forward to next week. Uh, so you've done it You've done it in a canter, mate. This is supposed to be hard work and you've blown them away. You've won your sectional qualifying by three. You shot 64 in your second round. Tell us how that felt. Um, yeah, it was pretty good, but I actually wasn't really feeling that confident over the ball, to be honest, today. And um, to be able to get the ball in the hole like that was pretty satisfying. So... Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that was probably the you know probably the best bad golf I've, I've played for a long time, or you know if, if ever. Um, obviously, yeah, just didn't feel a heap confident over the ball, and uh, still managed to get in the hole. Well, that's awesome. There's a whole, I'm sure Al will have a heap of stuff to drill into there. But I remember the last tweet before I, before I thought over the other two. The last tweet I think I saw from you was. You were either responding to someone or putting it out yourself that you felt like you were swinging a cricket bat, not a golf club. So you can't have gone in with enormous amount of confidence if that was a fair 
description of how you're feeling about your game. No, well, if you saw if you saw the shorts that I wore today, that would explain the amount of photos I expected to have up and around. Um, <laughs> Give us a description. I, uh, yeah, I didn't didn't have a hell of a lot of confidence, uh, but sort of found a little something on the range where I was like, oh, okay, maybe that maybe that'll work, and um, you know, it's kind of trusted. I, had, I was probably running three or four swing thoughts on the course, which um, my mental coach Jamie would probably not recommend. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, just one of those days where, you know, you sort of, every time you hit it near a bunker, it seems to kick away from it. And then every time you hit one in the rough or in the trees, it seems to find a gap and you've got a nice swing and, you are you know, you're a foot from being, you know, chipping it out sideways and instead you can kind of hit it up near the green. And, um, yeah, it was, obviously, it was sort of just, you know, we said with like eight holes to go, I think one bounce sort of left off the, off the edge of a bunker onto the green. And it was like, you know, when it's your day, it's your day. Lucas, it's Blakey here. It, it, look, it's 10 o'clock at night where you are now, or a bit after that. Um, you're sounding quite sober, which it, it surprises me. You've, <laughs> yeah, well, ha- you've handled yourself I've, well. I've had to deal with my phone, which has not exactly been quiet. Uh, um, but I've managed, to, I've managed in between everything to order two pizzas on Uber Eats, so we're, uh, we're getting right <laughs> into them now. What sort of pizzas? I reckon, uh, we're gonna, I reckon we'll be... Trying to work out what sort of bars are open at ten uh, thirty on a Monday night in Oregon, uh, in Portland, in Oregon, uh, in the next twenty minutes. Oh, you need to go underground in Portland, Oregon. That's where you need to go, Lucas. Go to the city. Go Here to the, go. go to the weird spots. If it's above ground, you probably won't find one. Yeah, right. We'll see that, or we go and find a uh, a bottle shop to uh, <laughs> to uh, stock up. Uh, but, yeah, we'll. Um, I'm sure we won't uh, get to the end of the night without having lubricated the throat. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't played a major before, so how would you approach something like a US Open? Would you change anything? Um, do you just go in like you normally do? Is it too cliche to say just the same as prepare as every prepare the same as every other event? Yes, it is. Come on. <laughs> Give us something better. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, obviously, being a major, it's going to be quite, um, you know, the excitement levels are going to be there in the way of you're going to see Tiger hit balls in the range and be very close up to that. And you're going to see, you know, other um, other pretty cool things through the week. It's obviously Shinnecock Hill, so um, pretty phenomenal golf course. So just, we're going to see a lot of stuff that, you know, it's going to be obviously pretty new and pretty exciting. So um, I think... Just, you know, being able to appreciate that and, and take all that in as well as, you know, just sort of knuckling back down and, and focusing on what I need to do. Uh, I think that'll put a bit of focus the next week. Well, when you look back at where you were, say, in October of last year, Lucas, and what's happened since then, you've played your way into two majors because, of course, your finish in Singapore a couple of months ago meant that you're playing in the British British Open, in the Open, as I should say on this show, yeah, exactly. before you guys get stuck Thank into you. me. Yeah. You've had a couple of... Stel- <laughs> I think I'm safe. I think I caught it. Uh, a couple of amazing finishes at the end of last year in the Oz Open, Oz PGA, and then you had, I mean... What was it? The Rocco Forte Open a couple of weeks back, uh, yep. tied for third there, semi-finalist at the World Perth Super Sixes. How does it get any better <laughs> from the from the last eight months? Um, Maybe winning one. Yeah, probably a win would be good. Um, we were just filling out the uh, you know the 
sort of player biography this afternoon. I had a lot of results put down in the runner-up finishes and not many to put in the winning uh, finishes. So I reckon I'd like to fill that category up um, with some wins somewhere uh, on a professional tour. And, uh, yeah, just putting some good showings in these majors, I think. Um, you know, I've as sort of said before, uh, qualifying for a US Open is cool, but it, it sort of doesn't really do that much um, you know if, if I go and miss the cut it's sort of like yeah it's a cool experience but that's not really done anything for me so we definitely need to um, you know take this opportunity and, and really try and uh, take advantage of it play try and play the best golf I can up there at Chinnacock and um, you know if I can if I can go sort of go low and get myself uh, up there on the weekend and um, you know get in all amongst it I think that, you know that would probably be the, uh, the best thing that could happen from it so you're walking up to the range and there's two spots free. One's next to Tiger Woods and one's next to another Monday qualifier that you don't know the name of. Which spot do you pick? I'll probably head back to the chipping green, to be honest. No, you will not. You're, that's not your go at all. Oh, no. I'd, I'd be straight in next to Tiger, and but I'd have the phone out taking Snapchats and, uh, <laughs> and making sure everyone knows how jealous they uh, should be. Hey, can, can I, before we let you go, can I ask you... Back to what you said right from the outset. You said something like it was the best, worst golf you played for a long time. For somebody who, yeah. you know, we, we love the way you play and we regard the natural talent you've got highly and you, you know how we feel about you on this show. But for you to be able to play good golf when you've got a thousand different things going on in your head and you don't think you're playing well, for you to be able to score when you're doing that, how much stock do you take from that? Um, yeah, a lot. I was... With my coach Dom, we were I think we were sitting in Sicily, probably having a uh, a glass of wine after last round, um, and we sort of got talking. And I think at that point I had the record for the last like nine months or eight months that if I if I if I didn't uh, miss the cut, I ran top ten. Um, and we were sort of that was we, it was sort of pretty cool um, to think about like that, but it was also frustrating and like you know the bad weeks we were missing the cut and it was sort of saying we need to get the bad weeks better you know the good's obviously pretty good but um the bad weeks need to get better so um yeah to, obviously to win a u.s open sectional qualifying I, I mean i'm probably i'm probably stretching the truth a little bit i probably i, I probably played well you know watching from an outside but definitely internally it, it there was not a lot of confidence in you know after this swing i think the ball's probably going to be up near the fairway somewhere. If I can maybe not miss it right, that'll be good. Um, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where you're at, where I was at today anyway. Um, you know, that was that was sort of, I think that was a pretty pleasing thing to be able to shoot the numbers I did um, playing average golf. And I think that that's almost, um, I think as golfers, that's almost probably where we, uh, we get the most satisfaction from it. Because, you know, when you're playing good, it's almost easy. You, know, you fire at every pin and the ball just goes exactly where you want it. And, you, know, you put it anywhere near the hole and it seems to find the hole. And you're like, this is, this is easy. What's, what's so hard about this? But then it's, it's when you're playing average and when you're struggling with your swing and you know, when it's a bit of a lottery as to where the ball goes, I think, you know, throwing out good scores when that, that's happening is, um, you know, that's probably more satisfying than uh, just, you know, sitting in the car and, and, um, and watching yourself play well when you're not, 
almost feels like you can't do anything other than play well. <laughs> Mate, it's a super story. It's another um, little kind of chapter in, you know, the uh, Lucas Herbert story that's uh, writing itself in front of our eyes, mate. We, everybody over here on this little show and obviously involved all the people at Golf Australia and um, are delighted to see what you've done and golf fans around Australia would be echoing um, our congratulations to you. And we can't wait to watch you tee it up in the big one, mate. So enjoy the beer, enjoy the pizzas, enjoy the company of your mates and uh, we'll be watching in a week and a half's time. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Love being on as always. You're a superstar. Lucas Lucas Herbert joining us on the show. Um, El, you know what that's about, you know, being able to score. And he's he, he freely admits that he's probably over-emphasised uh, how bad he felt he was playing. He, he wasn't playing that badly. But to be able to, to hold it together and score when you're just not thinking straight, not feeling it the way you want to, that uh, says a fair bit about the bottle of the kid, I reckon. Well, Lucas has the game where... To give you an idea of what you'd expect to see when you watch him play, he's going to go for it, eh? <laughs> he's he's going to launch some shots in places that you wouldn't necessarily ex- expect them to go. But the difference with Lucas and a lot of people that do have that ability is that he has an exceptional short game. I've I've genuinely seen him get up and down out of places that, you know, I, I was a professional golfer myself and I would look at that and be like, if I get down in three or maybe even four, that would be good. And uh, and he's stiffed it and nailed the part. So um, he's got the the safety net of a, of a killer short game to back up the power, which is key for some incredible golf. Uh, uh, he's an absolute cracker. And he, look, he's him. a country boy, got a lovely way about him. He's very honest and open the way he speaks. Just the way that he plays and we... Ali sort of touched on this. But, okay, he shoots 66. It's a two-round qualifying. He needs to get in, I think it was the top four. He shoots 66 and he leads. Does he come out and protect that lead? No. Does he come out and play conservative? He goes out and shoots 64 <laughs> and he won it by three. That is Lucas Herbert. I hope people get around him. I think they'd really like him. You know, he hasn't got a big profile yet. He's been on our show a few times. He should have a bigger profile. Yep. One of the things, and I do want to say, and I I hope the listeners are getting on board with him because it's hard as an Aussie to hear someone say, I didn't play that great. It's not in our nature as as Mm. Australians to go, oh, that's that's a cocky way of thinking. That's not it with Lucas at all. Mm. And it'd be so easy to just dismiss some of the remarks that he makes as being, you know, borderline arrogant yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. It is not in it's not in his makeup. And maybe, you know, sometimes that translates through to, to radio or T V, sometimes it doesn't, but certainly in person, um, getting around the guy and seeing the energy that he has, uh, it's just incredible to watch him on his journey that he's going on. So keep going, Al. Take us, kick it off with the um, the wrap up to the U.S. Women's Open, which was stunning and staggering, and a whole <laughs> lot of different adjectives you can throw into the mix. It was the drama. It, was, it really was. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, the drama started. It started at the start of the week, really, because the the golf course uh, Shoal Creek had had so much rain. Um, in say, I want to say at least the six days before the event um, that. Players were talking about playing the playing the whole golf course, the whole event, lift, clean, and place, which mm. has never been done before in a USGA um, US Women's Open. So uh, they were not so keen on the idea, as you can imagine. So there was actually quite a battle between the players and the USGA for the first three days. Um, as a golfer, I understand it. 
But now that I'm outside of golf, I look at that and I'm like, just take what you're given and deal with it, you know. And it's so funny to be on both sides sometimes that now, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of Blakey can chime in. A lot of the media yeah. is probably quite critical. You do of- see a different perspective. Christy Kerr was very funny on this with, with some of her uh, tweeting. She was she put a lot of pressure on the USGA <laughs> to have lived clean place. In the end, I gather, Ali, that they just painted off a lot of GUR areas in the, some of the the uh, sort of wetter areas and the way they went. So, the course and, uh, didn't. They didn't. Oh, like there were parts of the course that didn't hold up well to it at all. There was some obviously a lot of mud balls. Yeah, a lot of mm. pa- parts of the course were quite badly affected by the deluge that they'd sustained. Well, that was the first part of the drama. But then, <laughs> but then we get then we. And I know you two have caught up with Sarah Jane Smith, and we'll hear from her after the break. But we get she leads by five in the second round, and we got Suo at one stage tied second, and Minji at that stage was just starting to get warm. She petered out first, then Suo couldn't maintain the level, and then Sarah Jane kind of lost her mojo on the um, Saturday and Sunday. But then what happened in the final round? So we had a, at one stage we had a five shot leader, then Araya Jatanagan gets out to a seven shot lead. What happened next? <laughs> on the course and in the commentary booth, needs a little bit of exploration, I reckon. Uh, well, area shot 32 on the front nine in, on the final day, um, was completely in control of her game. She looked like she was going to lap the field. Um, and then she got to the back nine, and that's pretty much all you have to say. Um, she just absolutely tanked it. And you could see... It takes an eye that's watched her play a lot to see the difference, but you could see the difference. Her jaw was slightly stiffer. Um, You could see the way that her eyes were moving around a lot more than they were on the front nine. The way that she was talking to her caddy. Um, Aria is known to be a very affable and laid-back character, and she wasn't (laughs) for obvious reasons. Um, so she ended up taking a, a seven-shot lead to get into a playoff bogey the last hole as well. Um, had a putt to win on 41, the final hole. 41 for the back nine. Yeah, nine shots worse. Mm. And Hyoju Kim obviously reeled her in with a 67, so she played great golf. She was just knocking putts in from everywhere, and she is a gun player. Don't, don't worry about that. But, even, so. but when she – if something funny happened, like the last four or five holes, when she saw that she was a chance of winning this thing, she started – hitting some very unusual mm. shots left. She was hitting these kind of knuckleball draw, yep. low balls that were going way left. Even she started to feel the pressure a little bit, I reckon. Definitely there was a lot of tension out there. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of tension. And, you know, for it to finish the way that it did, and, and this is where we can get to the commentary bit, because uh, on the first, it was a two-hole aggregate playoff. Oh. And on the first hole of the aggregate playoff, he um Hyoju Kim knocks in a bomb for birdie and goes to a one-shot lead. So for the first time for a day and a half, uh, Arya Jatanagan Jatanagan has lost the lead. They get to the second hole, she hits it into the rough, and this is where the commentators completely wrote her off, right? Yeah, I oh, it mean, started it started earlier than that, I reckon. But right. yeah, 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 it was certainly interesting listening. So I think at that point in time, in the commentary booth, there was Joe Buck, Paul Azinger, and Julie Engster. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think Brad Faxon was out on course. There was a couple of people out on course, but Brad Faxon was one of them. And um, they started saying before they'd hit the approaches, and I've actually never seen this done in broadcast before. They actually said, "I hope that this doesn't 
ruin her career. Oh, yeah. Like, they were literally talking about it as though it was was completely over. I heard Julie Mm. Inkster at one stage say, what's going to be interesting to see if she'll ever come back from this? Yeah. That's almost a verbatim quote. Yeah, it was the, it was becoming soap operatic stuff. It was like the, I I understand you want to sell drama and that's part of the thing, but though they had her six feet under while the tournament was still going. It was, I, I guess to be fair, she she her body language wasn't good. She did look like she was completely unraveling. It's true, and somehow she reversed that process. But there was always a chance that that was going to happen. <laughs> and as a, as a commentator, and I'm a I'm a vastly inexperienced broadcaster, but I would never go there, I don't think. You, you can't go there, Ellie, can you? Uh, well, well, I... You, you, it's it's almost like the, go- the golden rule is that it, yeah. ain't, it ain't over till it's over. Exactly. So even if someone's eight shots ahead, all of a sudden, it's the battle for second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're always you're always pushing some kind of um, narrative. And if you tuned... And, and the reason is, if you tuned in, if you had turned on the, the TV at that exact moment when they were having that discussion, would you have kept it on? That's a very good question. Mm. Um, that's a very good question. And there was a, because there was this pervading flatness that unfortunately was coming over the whole thing. It was really maudlin and. It was cringe, cringe it, time, it, wasn't it? It was a little bit. And, mm. um, and it, the moment deserved a bit better, I reckon. Mm. Uh, now, I think it was poor. Yeah, not their greatest moments, I no. don't think. So Jutanagan wins with a great up and down <laughs> from the bunker on the fourth playoff hole. Uh, Hyoju Kim was in the bunker as well, didn't get it up and down. So two majors for area. Uh, she's a great player. She's been number one in the world already. Um, she's clearly got some issues with nerves, but she dealt with it eventually after a bit of a rocky road. Uh, Sarah Jane Smith ended up shooting 78 on the last day, Ali. Um, tied fifth, her best in a major. In some ways, it was a great breakthrough for Sarah Jane to, to lead through two and a half rounds and to play so well, but disappointing at the end. So it was kind of bittersweet, wasn't it? Completely. You know, and I think um, the fact that it was the first time that she'd ever held the lead in a major as well, um, going into that Friday night and she had four shots. And and realistically, there's so much positive stuff to take from the week. Oh, of um, course. When she'd been having probably one of the, the slowest starts, I'd say, um, of at least her last three seasons in terms of results. And so it's a, it's been, a, I th- hope it'll be a real turning point for her. But um, I actually read something that's quite entertaining because she's, she's sneaky, suspe- um, superstitious, huh. Sarah. And she they went out for Thai food on the Wednesday night and she shot five under the next day. And so... What did they do the same of night? Course. <laughs> she's booked that she's table. Said, <laughs> yeah, same same spot again. So I think they ended up going at least two or three nights <laughs> right. in a row. Um, but no, she's just such classic, and and I'm so thrilled to see her play well because she has been one of the most underrated Australian players that is finding her way. At you know, I think she's uh thirty. I want to say thirty three. Maybe 33. just turned thirty four. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and she's getting it now, mm-hmm. which yeah. is super cool That's when great. you've got a tool full of teenagers. So you're going to talk to her on the other side of the break. You've already caught up with her. I think just there's a whole lot of other results which we'll get to later in the show. But Sue, more so than Minji's performance here, so she's fin- fin- made the cut, finishes middle of the pack of those who got to the weekend. I think Sue O will take a bit from this. She stuck her nose in the frame. She would have seen her name on the leaderboard for the first half, first three rounds of the tournament before she kind of just drifted out of contention and then off the front page. But what a what a kaleidoscope of 
experiences to have in one tournament of a major. And what a great learning curve for someone who's clearly getting her game together um, now, having been through a couple of issues with equipment and swings and coaches and various other bits and pieces. Well, Sue's, Sue's career has been, you know, she took she spent so many years taking so many steps forward and then she started making some swing decisions, took about four steps back, and I think she's just at, I think she's at level pegging now. You know, I think she's at a, a real springboard. But I actually want to say, I think that she would have been com- more comfortable in that position given that Sarah Jane was there as mm. well. Okay. Um, strange, strangely kind of a, a psychological um, advantage, I think. If she had Inby Park next to her, I think it would have been different. But Sarah, it's quite a close-knit group, the Australians, and I think there would have been almost like a, I don't know, just a, a little different sense of comfort maybe for Sue. Probably. They did play together third round, didn't they? And Sue ended up 17th. And he uh, just uh, had a text exchange with Mike Clayton, our co- co-host, uh, afterwards. And Mike, as you know, is a... a um, uh, a mentor of sorts for Sue. He's, caddy, he's caddied yeah. for her and yeah. stuff like that. So Sue has parted ways now with Cameron McCormick. Uh, this has just happened in the last few weeks. And um, the the coach who, who also coaches or is the instructor for Jordan Speed. So I was a bit surprised by that. She's also changed clubs again. So mm. uh, there's a few changes there. But ever since she's made those changes and she's gone a different way, I'm not sure who's coaching her now, if if anyone. Um, but she's played better the last two 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 times. Look, 22 years of age. That's, I mean, the, the world's her oyster, really. It's all in front of her. Yeah. Uh, let's get a break out of the way here on Inside the Rope. Sarah Jane Smith, who was one of the big stories of the Women's US Open, to join us with Marty and Ellie on the other side of this. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. Obviously, we've already spoken about the Women's US Open in the first segment. Uh, Sarah Jane Smith loomed as one of the really big stories. In fact, she confirmed that as one of the big stories from the tournament. Looked like a winner halfway through the tournament. Wasn't able to get the job done. Alison Whitaker and Marty Blake sat down and had a good chat to her about the experiences she had in the Open. We're joined on Inside the Ropes by Sarah Jane Smith, who had a sensational week uh, at the US Women's Open uh, last week in Alabama. Ended up finished tied fifth. Career best performance in a major. Sarah Jane, uh, it's great to talk to you. And how are the emotions at the moment? It must have been... A pretty uh, roller coaster week. Yeah, it was really strange. It it actually feels almost like two tournaments. It was like two days of really nice golf, and you know it was really good vibes and everything. And then it was like two days of pretty average golf, but then at the end a good result for the week. So it was really strange. It was kind of one of those things where it was like I was sort of disappointed, but at the same time happy. So it's yeah, it's sort of not an experience I've had before. So if you'd started the week, uh, I think you commented afterwards that if someone had said to you at the start, I'll finish tied fifth, you probably would have taken that. I mean, if, it's funny, isn't it, in golf, how if you had uh, you know, come from with a withering burst at the end and shot 68 on the last day and finished tied fifth, 
I guess you'd be a bit happier. But at, at the end of the day, the result is the result. You picked up, I think, 180 grand, and all your points and point and rankings and things like that. I mean, it, it's a great result for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially considering the last five and a bit weeks before the US Open, so um, that was kind of what I was getting at. You know, like if if at the I'd missed five cuts in a row and to the last two years it had been pretty consistent so that it was sort of um something that really hurt you know i didn't really i wasn't dealing with it very well and um i felt like i was playing decent golf but just making some silly mistakes at the wrong time and and uh missing cuts and then it just sort of kept snowballing and uh yeah if someone would have said to me at the end of Kingsville, which was the fifth one in a row but in two weeks time you, you can finish fifth at the us open i would have <laughs> Never that up before they could finish their sentence. I think. Now, rumor rumor has that you actually ducked back home and switched your uh, switched your golf clubs over because you were changing equipment. Um, just what you just weren't happy with it. Obviously, just needed a change, and it, something clearly clearly clicked going back to the old set. I heard that you benched them actually, literally oh. and metaphorically. Yes, I actually literally benched them. Yeah, I um, I. I've been having trouble with my full shots with uh, the irons that I had in the bag. Uh, and then I just felt like I was the misses with them was too significant. So we tested some other clubs and the full shots were just great, like really strong. And uh, the misses were like three yards different, so, which I work in meters, so three yards is great. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I just thought it was a, a no-brainer and um, the only – Part was that I actually didn't use my brain because when I play, I hear a lot of little shots. And when you know we had a few days to kind of put him in after A and A, we'd flown back to Orlando, a couple of days practice, and then straight to Hawaii, which is a short week because we start on Wednesday. And uh, it was windy there, and you know, obviously, I'd hitting more little shots than what I would even normally do in regular conditions. And I just had no control over them. I was hitting straight over pins and hitting decent golf shots, but then. There's sort of two teed greens, which I was three putting, and it was just a disaster. And I kind of uh, didn't really put it down to the clubs for a few weeks. And then after San Francisco, which was our third missed cut in a row with them, Dwayne said, he said, I don't care if you're coming or not, I'm going back to get the clubs and I'll meet you in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, uh, we both came back. And uh, I remember when I switched the clubs out that, I didn't want to mix them up with any of my other like old golf clubs that I've had, and I wasn't sure what I did with them. Like when I was thinking about it in San Francisco, and then walked in the door, and I had literally put them on a bench. I was like, "That's great, you're an idiot." <laughs> Talk us through that a, l- a little bit for a pro uh, player, Sarah Jane. There's obviously sponsorship arrangements and stuff like that. Is it difficult to actually? I'm sure it would be difficult to, or, or logistically hard to actually change some clubs if you're not happy with what you've got. Yeah, so I I have been under contract previous years, but this year I wasn't under contract with anything. Uh, and then the company's club that I tried, I had an opportunity with uh, possibly down the road. So um, that was kind of the reason behind trying it. And I really liked it. It has uh, the shots I was hitting I was really happy with, but obviously the, the range is very different to the golf course. And I had no real reason to... to change my clubs that I did have out. Um, I'd been using them for two, two and a plus years prior to that and had the best years of my career. So um, looking back, it's, it seems like one of the dumbest decisions I've ever made. But in the moment, I made it for the right reason. So I sort of got to, we just, we, we said like, we won't, we won't do it, talk about it anymore in a bad way. You know, we made it for the right decisions and 
the, sorry, the right reasons and, um, and you know, hopefully we'll learn from it and not do anything similar to that again. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you work with Sean Foley, for those listening that don't know, he was a former coach of uh, Tiger Woods as well, and you guys have been kind of working back on and off more times than a, an episode of The Bold and the Beautiful, uh, but you're back on working together. Um, I, I read about a conversation that you had where he said to you, you said, what's going on? I feel like I'm doing all the right things. Uh, what's the secret? And he said the secret is to keep turning up and yeah. and not be dramatic kind of about where your golf is at. How, how did that kind of click with you mentally, especially going into a major week like this week? Uh, I think it was really important. It's um, I've been fortunate that Sean's really kind of understood me, I think. You know, he always seems to say the right thing at the right time. And uh, to both Dwayne and I, he, uh, he sort of doubles as a sports, life coach I guess as well <laughs> so uh but yeah I texted him after Kingsmill because I'd had a lesson the week prior to Kingsmill and I was really happy with everything and played really well um and kind of just made a few really bad swings coming in uh, to miss the cut by one I think they're all two in the end because I, I made a double or something but um it was really good golf until I basically crumbled at the last second and uh, I texted him and I was like I just I don't know what to do like I can't work any harder and everything's good when I'm practicing and like all my videos look great. You know, the, the back and forth we were having was like, there was no, we weren't sure where the improvement was. And uh, he, I said, is there a book I can read? Like just something to get my mind right. And uh, he called me the next day and he's like, look, there's no book to read. I'm pretty sure he called me an idiot. I don't want to say that he did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, uh, yeah, he said, you just got to keep teeing it up. Like you're doing all the right things and it will turn around. You just got to be patient and, and stick it out but he always seems to to find the right words to to make it uh a little better so so what was the upshot of uh tied fifth u.s open i mean at one point you're leading the u.s open by four shots you actually slept on a four shot lead on the second night have you spoken to sean and what's your feeling about how it all went for you uh, I, have, I haven't spoken to Sean yet. Um, we texted last night, but he called um, Dwayne this morning and we missed it. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't get home until 3.30. So, um, yeah, we were not awake for the... I'm pretty sure he called at 9 o'clock, so we were not um, conscious at that stage. But, um, but what was your, you know, what think, was your post-mortem of it? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, of... Friday night there was a real possibility you know if I could have just had any kind of a, a weekend that um, you know we could have won, won, a, won one of the biggest tournaments in women's golf so it was kind of to go from that kind of uh, I guess excitement to I mean it's still a great week but at the same time it was a, a bit of a letdown um, it was it's a weird feeling like I, I was sort of saying earlier it was kind of really two weeks um, but at the same time I think coming from how the year had been going and starting to think of all these things of, you know, like, am I going to, you know, do I need to qualify for the British? Am I high enough on the rankings? And am I going to get into Asia? And all these things that, you know, start to creep into your mind um, with those things kind of taken care of now, I think it really something that will free me up for the rest of the year and hopefully um, get away from this uh, protective golf I've been, been playing before the the US Open. Going back to, well, I guess it would have been Friday night, and you've got that four-shot lead. What what is that like to have a, a big lead at 
a major and in terms of especially in regards to the media and the, you know the kind of attention on social media and press conferences and everything that you have to do because there's a lot that goes on after play as well isn't there in majors yeah it was actually um it was i mean it's a lot of fun it's a lot it, i mean it's a lot more time but at the same time it's way more fun than finishing around and nobody cares and you just go home <laughs> it's nice to do the interviews and i mean I, Everybody was great last week. Um, there was a lot of really nice people there that made the, all the interviews um, a lot, oh, not more, not a lot more enjoyable, but just you know they were just uh, made things very easy, and it was it was just a great week. Like, um, but at the same time, like on Friday we finished at lunchtime, and I did maybe fifteen minutes of putting practice because it was like scalding hot there, so I just did a little bit of putting practice, and then uh, we didn't leave the course till like three thirty. So. It's kind of it is a lot of extra time, but um, something I, I would love to be doing <laughs> more often. And uh, how's Dwayne's head? Is he able to get through the doorway? Because he got a bit of publicity as well, didn't he? I, I noticed in some of the American media that uh, you know after the first two days, uh, I think he might have even done some interviews. Did he? Oh, the first after the Friday round, we he came out and they're like, "Do you mind coming over and get you on the?" Um, they had a podium before they would take you to the media center. I said, yeah, no, absolutely. So I go on over and they announce me and I walk up and there was literally nobody there. Um, oh. <laughs> from, uh, who writes the Golf Week, she sort of was wandering by and stopped by because all the reporters were talking to Donnie. Oh, no. <laughs> so there was nobody. That can't there be right. There was no one to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, well, I was going to ask him a couple of questions, but I'll ask you a few now while they're all talking to him. I was like... Great, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, how did that go down in the relationship stakes? <laughs> no, no, it was well earned. No, I just maybe tease him and bring up the fact that he was voted hottest caddy or something, make him embarrassed. <laughs> Mr. Twenty eight percent, wasn't it? Twenty eight percent of the tour, something like that. Something voted like him, that, yeah. The hottest man on yeah. tour. He's doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Married hey, well. Hey, Sarah Jane. Uh, <laughs> You're back in Orlando at the moment, but you're heading up to New Jersey uh, later later this week to play again on the LPGA Tour, uh, the next event. Um, I, I was reading yesterday that there's only two players uh, on the LPGA who have played every tournament this year. One's you and the other one's Aria Jatanagan, who, who won the US Open this week. Um, don't you need a rest? <laughs> it's funny. I had actually planned on taking ShopRite off, uh, which is at the event in New Jersey, uh, and things weren't going well enough to justify sitting a week out uh, and we need to withdraw from the event the Friday before so I made the decision to play before anything happened at the US Open really so um, but at the same time it is, it's an amazing event and it's not one that I like to skip it just felt good in the schedule so uh, we'll go up there play that and then I think we've been talking about taking the week off after but um, I mean I've sort of it, it's a fortunate position to be in to be able to take a week off but early in my career we didn't have enough events and so I, I'm not really used to it so I don't love doing it but um, Kari actually texted Kari Webb texted me last night and she's like you have to take a week off <laughs> now now you do not have an excuse you need to take a week off <laughs> so I said yes yes I think I'm going to take the week after off said, okay if ever there was advice yeah. to heed, it would probably be that from the godmother of Australian yeah. golf. <laughs> yeah, she, we played a practice round on Wednesday and she was not impressed that I had 
started, I had played ShopRite and hadn't planned my, my mm. new week off. So <laughs> I think she'll she'll be happy now if I take that one off. That's it. We'll, we'll text her after we're <laughs> finished with today's yeah. episode. But I was just thinking back, I think it was a, maybe two years ago, on, I want to say it was on the Asian swing when you, you hit this shot. I remember you telling me the story. You hit a shot and it hit the rocks and and when ended up on the green on a on a par three and you said that nothing had been going right for you and then that was a real turning point um for your year and your golf at that stage is is that what this weekend's this past weekend's been for you is this a, a massive launching point for hopefully the rest of the year yeah i hope so i mean yes that was um 2016 in dallas i'd kind of had a iffy start things weren't going great and uh, we'd missed a cut in San Francisco. And then in Dallas, um, one of the, I think it's the 15th hole is a par four over water. And uh, I thought I hit it okay, but just a little heavy. And it hit the hit the rock wall, went forward and went to about, I don't know, maybe five feet. And I <laughs> hold the putt for birdie and went on to make the cut by one and then finished top 20. Um, so, and that kind of, after that, I didn't miss a cut for the rest of the year. And it's funny, I think in my career, that's what, I've struggled with the most. Like I, I think that I, I usually, I you know I enjoy playing well, and I, and I play better, and I'm less nervous when things are going well. Like the nerves that I feel when things aren't going well are way worse, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So um, the uh, that's sort of what I've been dealing with the last sort of six weeks. Was I'd got in this rut where I'd started you know doubting everything, and my main concern was making the cut, and uh, that never never bodes well. So. Hopefully this can get me on a better better track and um, start looking in the right direction. Well, we are all barracking for you as ever. And, and I've got to just say one one more thing out of that Beth Ann uh, Nichols <laughs> um, article she wrote. She said, Sarah Jane is warm like the sunshine. And I thought, and she and she's not a very emotional writer, Beth Ann. So it was nice to see her her nail the uh, nail the thing that I think we all love so much about you and Dwayne. Mind you. Anyone knows that you've also got a pretty fierce sense of humour <laughs> to go with it. But we're all so excited for you. We're all behind you uh, going forward as ever. And thanks so much for taking the time to spend with us here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. This is Rebecca Arda, professional golfer on the LPGA. Don't forget to listen to the podcast Inside the Ropes. Catch up on all the golfing news around the world. Welcome back to the show. Uh, terrific stuff with Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, uh, other bits and pieces that we need to get to before we kind of wind up the show. We generally do all of the results and tournament analysis in the first segment, but there's so much to get through there. And with Lucas Herbert, we've left a little bit hanging over to the last segment of the show. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, one of the great fascinations of world golf, Prevails. Um, some of his um, descriptions and answers to questions post-tournament, you need a 
You need to be a NASA um, <laughs> kind of physicist, astrophysicist to understand what he's talking about. I had to Google some of the stuff oh that he was God talking father. about the other day. I wonder whether he's talking about golf. <laughs> Look, he's, he's a different cat, isn't he? So, I mean, we like that, don't we? We do. I think we he's do. He's only 24. Yeah. He's another good young player, you know. He plays with the, the same set of iron, the same length set of irons. It's really unusual and interesting. Yeah. How, how do you think you'd go with that, Ali? It makes, to be honest with you, it makes you a lot of sense mm. um, because you'd never change your setup. No. So your setup would be the same all the way through your club. So it's th- 37 and a half inches every single golf club for him. Um, the lies, uh, well, the lofts are obviously different, but the lies angles are exactly the same. Um, as a general rule, they do kind of slightly differ sometimes throughout the length of um, of your golf set, but... I actually genuinely like some of the stuff he does. He, he mm. measures, he tests every single golf ball he uses um, in a glass of water <laughs> and then waits for it to stop and then marks that as the, as the point of the, essentially the, the, the median or the centre of gravity or whatever you want to do. And then, so he doesn't pay any attention to the labelling or anything. He does all of his own testing. Um, he would be your worst nightmare as a club manufacturer in so many ways. He, he might make you millions. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, <laughs> he's going to be telling you, no, 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 those calculations aren't, aren't correct. Imagine what they'd say about him when he left the room. All these guys in R&D, <laughs> it's just, and then he comes in and says this, and then he leaves the room. Imagine what they'd say about him once he's gone. Oh. <laughs> uh, most of the Austra- rest of the Australians struggled a bit. Scotty was in the mix through three days and then faded away. Jason Day... Started well, but shot 74-74 on the weekend. Leash was never there. Cameron Davis got into the field, which you would have discussed last week, but didn't uh, particularly fire, didn't make the shot, uh, didn't make the cut. Tiger Woods, interesting. Um, 72-67-68-72, tied 20-30. He's playing quite well. He just didn't putt very well. Made nothing, did he? No, his putting numbers were awful, uh, and his exasperation with the putter uh, was obvious every time he spoke post-round. Uh, but every other part of his game was was in good nick. And he's in good nick pretty much every week now. Uh, he's not winning, but and he's probably not doing everything but win, but he's getting close enough to be in that nearly everything but win category, I reckon. He's, <laughs> he's going to win. Soon, he's going to win, isn't he? He is going to win. You'd, you'd be surprised if he didn't, the way that he's mm. playing. But uh, I love the comment that I love the most was how he really wanted to stuff things up for the Ryder Cup. Currently uh, an assistant yeah, yeah, captain, yeah. but they had uh, at the memorial every year, they have the measurements done for the Ryder Cup uniforms. And the captain's uniforms and the players' uniforms are different. And he was adamant that he's like, oh, I want the players' uniform, but they measured me for the other one and I just really want to throw <laughs> all of the tailors under the bus. That's funny because he, he's also, as we know, the captain for the President's Cup next is oh. next year. So, uh, you know, he, he, he may well get the chance to select himself. Well, who right now doesn't want him playing when they come down here? Yeah. Who doesn't want Tiger playing in that team? Well, if he's not in by rankings, he could be a captain's pick. And he's a captain. <laughs> there you go. So hey, speak, uh, web.com? Yeah, yeah. Well, Cameron Percy, your yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Almost. Almost. Tied, tied six, six, Cameron yeah, Percy. Yeah, yeah. No, four rounds in the 60s, which mm. is good for Cam because he's one of those players, and we, we, we have a great interest in him uh, around uh, certain places I work. Um, he's a if, – if there were three rounds if, – if you could take – your three best rounds and drop your your one bad round in a four round event, he'd he'd have a lot he'd have a lot of high finishes in his CV. He just seems to be one of those players that can chuck in a bad nine or a or a bad eighteen. But 
and it upsets what he's been able to produce for three of the four rounds. Fortunately, this week he had four rounds in the 60s and, you know, finishes top 10. So that was a great result for him. He counts as the, one of the most unluckiest of all golfers, having got into a playoff on a PGA oh, Tour God. event and seen a person stand up and hit it in the hole on a par three, have a hole in one. <laughs> that, that, that is, you know, that is when your luck's out. When your luck is out. Yeah. Remember the player? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Bird. Jonathan Bird, it yeah. was. Um, so that was there. Uh, Euro. Speaking of Ryder Cup, um, the Italian Open was played, and if you are, if you uh, Tommy Bjorn and his team, I think you take a bit of stock from this. You look at some of the names on the leaderboard. Uh, Thunder Bear was there. Thor Bjorn Olsson wins it. Francesco Molinari, who's in uh, by rankings at the moment, finishes second. Uh, Graham McDowell's there, Lee Westwood, Andy Sullivan, Martin Keimer, Ian Poulter, Danny Willett. They're all finishing top 15. And that's, with all due respect to folks like Lee Slattery and Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, who I've left a couple out there. But some of the really big guns in European golf are finding their form at a pretty important time um, for with Ryder Cup just around the corner. Well, not too far away now. So that's a bit of a shot in the arm for the European team. Yeah, and if Molin- imagine if Molinari had a one in his home. Oh, they were home pulling country. hard for him, weren't yeah, they? Yes. It's hard watching. Have you spent much time watching Danny Willett in the last? It's hard watching Danny. Now, Danny Is he on your radar? No, well, no, no, no. Well, he's twitchy. When he's over the ball, it takes him a while to get himself mentally ready to pull the trigger and play his shot. He seems like he's got a lot of things going on in his mind at the moment. But to his credit, he shoots 65, 67, 67, 69 to finish in a tie for eight in the Italian Open. But they reckon he's got bad knees at the moment. And it was an up-and-down course. And he found it, He looked like he was in pain getting up onto greens, having walked up hills to get there. There were times when he was lining up putts and he wasn't in the full crouch mode behind the putt. He was only sort of bending at the hip to read the putt. They're saying that he's having you know, injections for his knees. The knees under the long pants are bandaged up. I don't know exactly right. what the situation is with Willett there, but um, it, it did make... And having that in the back, knowing that that was um, affecting him, it, it made for some painful watching watching Danny Willett go about his business. So, um, But good to see him you know, put a couple of rounds together. Um, I've got a couple of other bits and pieces. I've got a nominee. General business? Yeah, yeah. Any yeah. other bits and pieces you want to throw, throw into Well, that? I wanted to ask Ali about something because Brittany Linscombe, who's, uh, is it Boom Boom? They bam, call bam. It? bam Bam? Bam yeah. uh, Bam. Boom Boom. Only a valor. Close, close. <laughs> boom, uh, boom Boom She She is a bit, you know, she's a big hitter. I've seen her play up close. and She's uh, nominated or been given a, a sponsor's exemption into the Barbasol Championship on the PGA Tour this year, so she's going to play against the men, which hasn't happened for a little while. Um, uh, maybe Michelle Wee might have been the last one, I, I think, so. but we're talking about so, quite a yeah. few few years since that's happened. But, you know, good luck to her. I, I'm quite happy with it. I don't mind it uh, one little bit. What, what do you think about it, Ali? Well, she's only the, the fifth player, female player to ever do it. Mm. Um, and... Of all of the players, like, you know, Annika Sorensen's one of the other people that's done it. Um, who else is in it? Um, Michelle Weiss, Susie Whaley has done it, and I think Babe Zaharias did it as well. Um, of all of those players, obviously I'm more familiar with Annika and Michelle's game, mm. she's probably got the best shot because she is really laid back. She is incredibly laid back. As as she is the queen napper on the LPGA. <laughs> um mind you, I have seen Shan Shan sleep 
in a in a couple of rain delays before. She takes her pillow to the golf course sometimes. But uh, but Brittany, she's super level headed, and I think she'll just actually enjoy it as though she's out with the lads for for a week. Yeah. Um, I think she'll be okay because it's done through her sponsorship with Barbara Soul. Right. Um, it's coming up in I think. 16th of July she'll be doing it so her commentary was very much I'm just going to go and have a good time I, I guess the issue might be you know how does uh, a woman who plays against the very best players in the male game win actually win like uh, is making the cut a win or, well, what is a win or, you know, yeah, that's it, the, it's yeah. hard to describe and and there's certainly a, a defeat in there there's a bad day in there if, if you have a, a shocker you know, so does it matter? Look, does I, it matter? Does it set yeah. women's golf back? I mean, we, we're just a bit interested in it. Aren't we? I don't think it's kind of setting the no. women's game back if she doesn't make the cut. No one's of that. Does anyone have that view anymore? I, I think less so now, and also less so with Brittany because it's not a statement for her. Yeah. She's not. She's not the type. Um, she's doing it because her manager told her about it a couple of weeks back. She's been mulling it over for a little while. And then she thought, yeah, hey, I've actually got nothing to lose. And there's not going to be, I don't think there'll be a lot of chatter, like do it for the women or do it for the LPGA. Yeah, I, don't yeah, think I think that's gone. Be, yeah. yeah, I think it is out the window. Um, I think that was different when Annika was trying to do it. Mm. And, and especially Michelle, um, was when she was trying to make a point, I think she was only about 16 or 17 mm. at the time when Michelle Wee did it. Um but yeah, I you know I'm all for it. She's uh, number thirty four in the world. Um, if it was world number one, I think it'd be different. Is yeah. it just you know the calculations and the the mental side of things just comes out a bit differently that way? But looking forward to it. Yeah, one other one, which is a bit of a negative, actually should have raised this before Andy. Uh, and we were talking about the commentary during the uh, last round of the Women's U.S. Open. Um, Azinger, Azinger, this was who talked about he couldn't get his head around. Uh, Aria Jatanagan uh, clapping her opponent's shots, which is something that Aria has always done, as far as I know. She's that type of person. She's just a very generous, nice person. And Azinger said, uh, you know, I can't understand that. You know, we're all competitive. You know, I, I don't get it. And, and Ali, you heard this as well, and I know a few people have commented on social media. Um, what, what's his problem with that? I, I don't um, get it. I think it's foreign. To a lot of people, to be honest with you. I think, especially in playoff, it's such a, a match play mentality. But it, and, and sadly for Paulie, did say what he thought in that moment, which is essentially what commentary is about yeah, sure. um, for the most part. And that's what he gets paid for is his candid remarks. Um, he just made one that sadly backfired and, and probably, I presume maybe wasn't exactly what he what he meant because it came off very poorly. It essentially said, I don't understand why she's being such a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and it it was bizarre and there was a lot of a lot of social media. Yeah, a mm. lot of social media um slap back from it for Paul. But he he did go on to kind of semi kind of justify it later on. But it just goes to show that he doesn't watch much women's golf. Yeah. That's the problem. That's what it That's came the across. Problem. Yeah, yeah, right there. That Have is we got issue. some furniture, Andy, to, to broadcast? Furniture? Or some you know, well, know. bits and pieces? Okay, yeah, just one last <laughs> thing. I reckon it was you, and I'm looking at you, Ellie Whittaker, not you, Martin Blake. <laughs> you haven't done your banister yet <laughs> oh, either. I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Uh, I reckon it was you, it was either the first series of Inside the Ropes or early in the second you, we, we were spending a lot of time talking about this, you know, kind of army of Korean golfers who were dominating the women's game. And I think you were saying 
just keep an eye out for the Swedes. The Swedes are coming. They've got an unbelievable junior program. They've got so many good players coming up. And my life is thus. I was looking at the Symmetra uh, Tour results the other day, and I looked down the flags, and all I saw was a sea of yellow and blue. There were <laughs> Swedish flags everywhere. There were five of them inside the top 23. Um, and I thought of you immediately. I thought, I'm going to mention that to L this week. Is this, and this is second tier, of course, pro game in America, but is this what you saw? You, you knew that this was coming in these girls. This is the start of these girls who are going to just work their way through the grades? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's Sweden and Denmark. Okay, um, right. The difference is that Sweden just has way more girls playing and they've got a lot more depth. But um, you're referring in particular to, to Jenny Hagland, who won, I think, two or three weeks ago. Yep. She actually drove... To, so she, Jenny Haglund won in a playoff. She had a, a young lady called Louise Riddestrom on her bag and then they drove to the next event together and they talked about how Jenny's come off a win on the LET in Morocco. Um, you know, we spoke to Sarah Kemp that week reflecting on the week who lost to Jenny in a playoff. Um, and they drove and she said, I just can't believe, you know, this is happening and I just realised that if Jenny can win, why can't I win? And then she's gone out the next week and won. Um, wow. <laughs> and and there is a real sense of opportunity, I think, at the moment. And I have to say that we, you know, we had her on the show, Penilla Lindbergh, when she won the ANA, ANA Inspiration. She, she, she did that. She, everyone on tour, and Sarah Jane Smith is another player who looks at now at Penilla, who's one of her closest friends, and goes, if she can do it, I can do it because yeah, they all train together as well. Perfect. So, um, yeah, you know, great signs for European golf. Is this the the kind of baby boom that we've been expecting from the likes of Annika Sorensen? Is this the wake um, of her coming through golf? We'll wait and see. Uh, here's the housekeeping. Okay, the, good to the, hear. All the furniture. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> subscribe if you listen and you don't do this. Subscribe wherever you get your uh, podcasts from. You know where it is. Make sure you subscribe. Leave a um, nice review if you can. And Hazy's the one that generally reads them out, but uh, I've got the responsibility of doing that today. Um, Play Nine. For the second successive year, GA is offering golfers around Australia the chance to win the experience you two of a lifetime and play like a pro at the Australian Open. 24 lucky golfers from around the country will play nine holes at the Lakes on day three of the Australian Open. What an opportunity that is. You could be one of them. Winners will travel to Sydney on Friday, the 16th of November. Stay for a couple of nights. Gift packs, attend the Champions Cocktail Function, clubs and facilities around the country are running qualifying competitions. Uh, check that out at yours. Uh, if it doesn't run them so far, go and knock on their door and give them a nudge and tell them that they need to. Uh, we need to thank uh, a bunch of people. Oh, I've just lost the thing. A bunch of people for their five-star reviews. Uh, great to know you've been on board uh, and enjoying the podcast. We'll keep bringing it to you. Um, I have got um, a nomination. We haven't had one for a while. Uh, <laughs> into the Memorial Roger Bannister file, and this is celebrating on, with an inverted comma around it, or commas around it, uh, slow play. Uh, Patrick Cantlay goes in. Mm, I saw this. Not the first time we've mentioned Patrick Cantlay on this show, but it is his nomination official now. We put him on the clock about two months ago, I reckon, uh, and he's now in. He's in the file. He's dreadfully slow. In fact, he's brutally slow. It's time. on Twitter if anyone wants to, oh, to do a search for that. I, how many times did he look at the flag while he was over the oh, ball? I, saw, I, I stopped. 13. I, I had to 13 look times. Was it actually 13? That's what I read on socials. Oh, <laughs> I didn't count them myself. Can't do that. That's death of golf stuff. Um, 
they've got to be quicker than this. And my only other last little tidbit, uh, and as while we're celebrating Lucas Herbert, who we've already spoken to on the show, there is a great disappointment for me, and that is that uh, somebody who looked like they were going to qualify for the US Open failed to when he just sort of burped his way home uh, through the last six or seven holes. But that is a player. There is actually a place called Shelbyville. Shelbyville <laughs> in Kentucky, apparently. Now, it sounds like a suburb out of The Simpsons, Shelbyville. But I it think actually, it is, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. But there is actually a it's place a in Kentucky uh, called Shelbyville. And a representative from Shelbyville failed to make the, the uh, four out of, um, out of Portland. And his name is Daniel Iceman. That is gold, isn't it? Now, we've got, what's his name? Yip. There's a bloke called Yip who plays on the, on the web.com tour. Fred Funk. I'm not making this up. There's, There's a, bloke a called, Shank as well. There oh is a Shank. Yep. There's, There's a bloke called Shank. S-C-H-A-N-K or something I think you're like that. right. Yep. Now, we have a Yip. Is it Michael Yip? Well, funny, funny sporting names are one of my things. Because, Daniel you know, Iceman. I mean, Dickie Pride's not bad. Dickie either. Pride's and, fantastic. You know, uh, but know, in the game of golf, I mean, clearly he is not. As the name as would suggest, a baseballer with a very good name, an oh, ice man. Yeah, so I'm not <laughs> uh, going to say the baseball. <laughs> no, no. Well, there's that Italian basketballer, Grigor Fushka. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, um, we won't say that. Yeah, we're done. Uh, we're going way over here. Thanks for tuning in, Al. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Good chat, Always you too. Great to be here, Blake. You'll see thank you next you. week. Uh, this has been Inside the Ropes. Great to have your company back next week to do it all again, folks.